This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to present the original radio broadcast from 80 years ago during the days of the war, with the occasional more recent radio program about the war. Today we have War Bond Parade, as as it aired over NBC on February 7th, 1944. It features a mix of entertainment, music, news, drama, and more, as the network and its stars urged Americans to buy bonds to support the war effort. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fall in line, America. All out for the NBC War Bond Parade. The command is forward march. Yes, forward march to victory, listeners. With more NBC stars in this seventh consecutive war bond parade. Yes, more stars. Well, look, you can see them coming from here. There's Raymond Massey, Nora Sterling, W.W. Chaplin, Dwight Kramer from The Right to Happiness, David Helm, and The Woman of America. That's the New York division. From Washington, Dr. I.Q. And from Chicago, Josephine Antoine and Reinhold Schmidt. Wait a minute. Who's that? Why, sure. From Hollywood, it's Kay Kaiser, Red Skelton, and Ronald Coleman. And the Grand Marshal of all, the man who gives the commands to start our marching, John W. Van Der Kook. Good morning and good evening. This is John W. Van Der Kook, your parade starter, giving the command to Ari Nosko, our orchestra leader, to strike up the band. <laughs>
to present Raymond Massey, who played the leading role tonight in Cavalcade of America. He brings to our program a sense of the deep fellowship in arms and in a common destiny of our country and the British Commonwealth of Nations and all of the United Nations, which today march together under freedom's banner. Mr. Massey will read to us from the words of the great poet, whose words are the common heritage of all of us here and throughout the world, who speak the English tongue. From Shakespeare's King Richard II, he brings us the soliloquy of the dying Duke of Lancaster, John of Gaunt, Raymond Massey. But they say the tongues of dying men enforce attention like deep harmony. Where words are scarce, they are seldom spent in vain, for they breathe truth who breathe their words in pain. Though Richard, my life's counsel would not hear, my death's sad tale may yet undeaf his ear. Methinks I am a prophet new inspired, and thus, expiring, do foretell of him. His rash, fierce blaze of riot cannot last, for violent fires soon burn out themselves. This royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, demi-paradise, this fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war. This happy breed of men, this little world. This precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier lands. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England, this nurse, this teeming womb of royal kings, feared by their breed and famous by their birth, renowned for their deeds as far from home, for Christian service and true chivalry, this land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land, dear for her reputation throughout the world, is now released out. I die pronouncing it, like to a tenement or pelting farm. England, bound in with a triumphant sea, whose rocky shore beats back the envious siege of watery Neptune, is now bound in with shame. by an embittered and a dying man were such prophecies of disaster mouthed. Yet they did not see fulfillment. Then long ago England survived a violent fever of internal strife. Just as today she has met and repelled threats of ruin and disaster from without. Then as today, a nation of free men clung stubbornly to freedom and won victory in her cause. Thank you, Raymond Massey, 
for your distinguished interpretation of the John of Gaunt great soliloquy from Shakespeare's King Richard II. NBC's Warbond Parade, we sweep across country to Chicago, where Josephine Antoine, star of opera and of NBC's Contented Hour, is waiting with Percy Faith's orchestra to sing the jewel song from Faust. Come on, 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 come on,
thank you, Josephine Antoine, for bringing us the beautiful jewel song from Faust. We rejoin the parade with John W. Vandercook in New York. This is John W. Vandercook again. Our parade keeps marching onward. And coming past the reviewing stand now is Lieutenant Dwight Kramer from The Right to Happiness, that popular NBC drama heard every afternoon. A few short weeks ago, on a desolate, uninhabited island in the vast expanse of the Pacific, two tanned and bearded men. After an eternity on this island, they had reached with three other men after their ship was torpedoed, were rescued by an American submarine. Now the sub is nearing home. Tomorrow she reaches her west coast base. She moves easily, majestically along the darkened surface of the Pacific. Every hour, every minute, carrying her crew and the two rescued men closer to America. Lieutenant Dwight Kramer is standing on the sub-deck tonight, peering ahead into the darkness. The eternity of the desolate island during which it seemed that God and man alike had forgotten is now behind him. He is looking ahead, hoping to see the lights of his beloved country. Braced beside the conning tower, he is joined by Commander Babcock, the ship's captain. Hello, Kramer. Is that you, Kramer? Captain. See here, what's wrong? Not crying, are you? No, sir. No, I'm just thinking. It's a little hard to talk tonight. I'm all choked up. I know. I get the same feeling myself whenever we come into port. The whole crew does. They don't cheer. They don't laugh. They hardly even smile. They're just quiet. It's hard to realize we're almost home. All that time on the island, there wasn't much hope. Now, tomorrow, I'll be seeing my wife. My baby. Mother and dad. I want to cheer and throw my hat in the air, yet somehow I can't. I keep thinking of the other three who are with us on the island. The three that aren't coming back. I know all that. Larry. He had a wife and a baby, too. He was so darn young. And Scotty. There was a girl waiting for him. And Timmy. Rough, tough little cockney from the docks of Liverpool. The Japs took all three of those fellows. Lord knows what's happened to them. It's tough to see your friends go. Tough. They let themselves be taken prisoners when the Japanese put ashore at our island to try and save us. My friend below deck and me. They may have died to save us. That's what gets me, Captain. How do people go about... Repaying the fellows that give up their lives for them. Only by keeping up the fight, Kramer. All of us. In the services and the people at home. Yes, I suppose. It sounds like so little. It needn't be only a little. It shouldn't be. You've been home several times since I was there, Captain. How are the people taking it? They're keeping up the fight, Kramer. They are. I'll stake everything I own. They aren't letting down. When you left home, some people were complacent. You won't find that now. 
They used to feel the war could be won easily. They know that isn't so now. And men and women don't just shrug their shoulders and let someone else do the whole job when their brothers in arms are dying. Men don't stand by and let other men bleed to death without lifting a finger to help. Now, Kramer, people at home aren't letting down. I think you'll be proud of your country. They'll keep up their part of this fight until this thing is over. of our parade is coming into the picture now. The man with the questions and the answers has both the questions and the answers for you tonight. You know him well. Dr. I.Q., the command is to proceed with the business at hand. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't take a high I.Q. to understand what I have to say this evening. It needs only one qualification to understand this, and we all have that qualification. We're Americans. Suppose somebody stopped you on the street and said, How about it, Joe? Would you like to have this war last a couple of years longer? You'd think the man was insane. You'd say, Listen, I have a son over there and a brother and a lot of friends I've known a long time. The longer this war lasts, the less chance they have of coming back. Every day this war lasts, the less chance they've got. Well, now, how about it? If that's the way you feel... How about doing something to help get them back? Yes, you can shorten this war. Everyone today has that power. It's a little hard to believe, of course, but it's true. It's a little hard to believe that buying another war bond will shorten the war. But figure it this way. If everybody buys another, millions and millions of dollars more will be available for more planes and ships and munitions and supplies of every description. Extra muscle for the final smashing blow. Yes, that's if everybody buys another war bond. And remember, everybody starts with you. There it is, on the line. Do you want to help shorten this war? Sure you do. Then go to it. Buy that extra bond. Back to John W. Vandercook in Manhattan now, and the more to come of this war bond parade. The spotlight of our parade shines now on the kindly country philosopher, so beloved to so many of you who listen to him daily over NBC. Need I say that his name is David Harum? He has a few serious words to say to you. Hello, everybody. You know that this country of ours had plenty of growing pains. Or maybe not so many as other countries I can think of. And you know it happens that these growing pains sometimes result in war. It seems as though even the wisest leaders and the highest ideals just can't prevent it. I've been thinking a bit about that. <clears throat> And I find myself back in a year when this great country of ours is fighting another war. Not the one we're fighting now, but the one between the states. Well, there was a battle going on in that war. It's still going on in this one. A battle against disease and infection. In them days, disease and plague just ran rampant through the armies. There wasn't no medicine then to prevent soldiers from getting sick. 
Their medicine to cure them. You see, it wasn't just bullets that killed the boys in that war. It was disease. Well, that could be true today, too. Because our boys are fighting in the jungles, where it seems as though every little mosquito carries a special dreaded disease of his own. The heat on some of the fighting fronts is unbearable. Just the cold is so awful on others. But the difference is, we at least can do something about it. Yes, we can lend our money to the government so that they can go about buying the medicines that are needed so that our boys are given the best of care. So that they at least have a chance against his old enemy, disease and infection. Yes, this way, if we keep our boys safe from those enemies, they can concentrate on fighting the enemies who would destroy them with fire and shells. You know we can't never do enough for these men who are dying on the battlefields. What they're doing for us is so great we could never repay them. But doggone it, we can't help them while they're doing it. And every American has got to do all that he possibly can. Because if he don't, he ain't an American. shores of Lake Michigan. The NBC War Bond Parade continues from Chicago. Reinhold Schmidt, Basso, another contented hour star, joins NBC's War Bond Parade with Percy Faith and the orchestra to sing My Journey's End. Lord, 
I's got to spread the brotherly love down here to the poor sinners before I gets the call. Yes, the law used to fall. Maybe if this world ain't bad at all, I'll patiently wait till I get the call. And now back to John W. Vandercook and the late news. This is John W. Vandercook once again, but this time not giving the commands, but bringing you the news. The news of the men on the fighting fronts for whom we are buying bonds. The Russian army has smashed into the suburbs of the manganese-rich city of Nikopal in the Lower Dnieper River and has five more of Adolf Hitler's crack divisions apparently caught in a trap. The Red Army is in control of the only railroad by which the Nazis might escape. Only 200 miles to the northwest, another Soviet army is wiping out whole regiments in the Sharkasi pocket. That other circle where 175,000 more Germans are being tightly pressed in a red vice. In Italy, American and British troops have today thrown back two more German counterattacks. But the Allies now admit that they were minor assaults. And there is this admission tonight from Washington. A member of the Allied High Command, an unnamed British officer, says that to a certain extent... The Germans are now taking the initiative south of Rome. Everything has not gone according to the book, he added. But it's not all lost either, although there has been some disappointment on the part of the Allies. The sharing of Paramashiro Island last Friday seems to have caught the enemy when his Japanese slant eyes were turned in another direction. This was the first visit our naval task forces have ever paid to one of the islands that form a chain or perhaps a road that runs directly down to Japanese home islands. Perhaps the enemy garrisons believed that our first visit was long overdue, and hence they were lulled into some sense of false security. They were not caught off guard exactly, but quite literally when they had their eyes turned in another direction. That direction was toward the skies. But we have been fairly regular in our aerial operations against that most northern base of the Japanese home empire. It seems that when the star shells began to illuminate our targets, 
Jap gunners naturally turned their guns skyward to seek out the flights of bombers. And before they could train their sights down again to the level of the sea, from whence the ocean-borne tack had really come, the naval shells were already dropping among them. Some of the American warships dashed up to within five miles of the shoreline, which is close enough for very accurate fire, and also for a certain amount of direct visual observation by men aboard ship. They saw our shells hit one Japanese ship in harbor, type unknown. And they observed flames spurt up from burning buildings. The pyrotechnic display that ammunition and fuel dumps comes when they blow up. And then this American operation upon the Japs became even more distressing to the enemy. For after their sights were trained upon the ships at sea on the split second, our planes then did show up. We can be duly thankful that everyone's watches were set exactly. For by this brilliant bit of calculation, both the ships and the planes got away scot-free. There were no losses of American ships or American planes. The only comment at hand from Tokyo is this understatement, that this raid upon Paramushiro must, I quote, not be regarded lightly. Indeed, it must not. Linked with the establishment of our forces upon the Kwajalein Atoll, it is proof that although do we not know just where the Japanese main fleet may be, our own fleet is now large enough and strong enough to be in at least two places in the Pacific at once. And that's all just now. is the National Broadcasting Company. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. We hope these old-time radio programs entertain and help you learn more about what Americans experienced during the war 80 years ago. Be sure to visit brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast for past episodes and more information 